0: Well, today, I have prepared a great message for you. Well, I hope you think it's great, right? But um, we are going to look in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. I am huge on having your Bibles out. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. If you don't see one in the pew rack in front of you, you all have a trusty supercomputer in your pocket, look it up. Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14. Are we all there? We're going to search around today in our Bible. We're going to hunt and we're going to talk about being prepared. The message is unprepared. We're going to talk about a parable called the wedding feast. And in this parable, we're going to find somebody who's unprepared. And Jesus is going to tell us about that man. But first, sometimes we feel like a fraud. Have you guys ever felt like a fraud before? Yes, I use that word. It's got a lot of power. That word fraud. We all get frauded sometimes. We get scam calls. Yes, how many of you guys get scam calls? Spam, whatnot. It's a spam alert on your phone. You get scammed. You get whatnot. You get emails. I I got an email from myself the other day um, asking me about my auto insurance. And I was like, wow, I didn't know I sent that email. But we get frauded. We get scammed. And it's all about, I think the kids call it catfishing today. Have you guys ever heard that term? To be a catfish, right? To be someone that you're not, or to be somewhere where you don't belong. I hate that feeling of being a fraud. It frightens me. It frightens me to the point that sometimes I get weak in the knees or I can't think straight. Right? You feel unqualified. You feel unprepared. That feeling of being a fraud pops up. Have you guys ever felt that way before? Raise your hand. Have you ever felt like, I'm I'm afraid I'm a fraud in this moment, but you're not. You know, it, it scares me to be a fraud, but in the end, I know that God has me, that he's qualified me, but my anxiety gets gets all up in a tizzy. Yes, I've had sleepless nights. I've woken up 2 a.m. in the morning. It happens often, and people say, but why? i I have no idea. I mean, we can think of why. I know it's the devil. He's stirring in my mind. But he has created this thought in my brain that I'm a fraud. He's created this thought in my brain that I'm not qualified. That I'm not prepared to do the Lord's work. And I think in my mind, I wake up at 2 a.m. And my eyeballs pop open. And my heart's racing, right? And I think... I didn't send that email, that email to my volunteers. I need to talk to my volunteers in the children's world. I just need to, I need to touch base with them. And I send that and they're going to think, man, this guy's a horrible leader. Man, this guy's not ready to be or to lead our children's ministry. And then my mind stirs and it stirs even deeper. Well, oh man, you're not a good father. Oh man, you're not a good, and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper you guys ever had that before? Woken up in a tizzy? I mean, everything, all of your anxiety. And it takes me, what, two or three hours to finally get back to sleep, to erase these thoughts, to put these thoughts away and say they're not real, right? Am I really going to send an email at 2 a.m. that's going to make me feel better? That's not going to happen, you know? But my anxiety gets up there. And it's just a crazy thought that... This being a fraud, this being unprepared will wake me up at 2 a.m. and ruin all the next day. I mean, when you wake up at 2 a.m., you go to sleep at 5, and as a parent of 5, guess what happens at 6.30 a.m.? Well, the youngest comes in, and he jumps on, jumps on my wife's side of the bed first, so then I get to ignore it, right? And I get to pretend I'm asleep, but really I'm not asleep because he's crawling all over us. And it ruins the whole next day. You're just tired tired all day or maybe this feeling I really want to get into this feeling or maybe you've had that dream yes when you're a kid you wake up in this dream and you're standing at school and everybody's pointing at you everybody's laughing at you and you're like why are they laughing at me and you look down and you're not wearing pants yes you guys ever had that dream nobody's had that dream it's literally just me I feel like this is a normal thing, but it's not a normal thing, I guess. I wake up in this dream and I don't have pants and everybody's laughing at me and I'm in my underpants and it's just one of those feelings that you just have that you're like, man, what did I do? How did you not go to school with pants? Maybe you've had a dream like that to where you're at school or some type of presentation and you're not quite ready to prepare. And people are laughing at you, and they're pointing at you, and you just feel like a fraud. You feel like you shouldn't be there. You feel like you're not ready. You know, that feeling of preparation. i got to tell you one more story. My mom's going to be here this morning. She loves it. She's like, I'm going to come down to your church. They live in Roseville. It's like an hour away. And she's got her own church, but she wants to hear me speak. Right? I'm her son. I appreciate that. I'm like, all right, she likes to come, she'll sit up here. And I like to use her in my sermons because we got lots of stories, we got lots of history together. And being prepared is one of those things that as a kid, you struggle with, right? I have a teenager myself, he's not in this room, so I'm going to talk about him. And he's a freshman in high school, and we've homeschooled him for the past, is it two years, two and a half years? Nah, two years. We took him out in seventh grade. He finished his sixth grade year and we took him out and we homeschooled him seventh and eighth grade year but he is a social butterfly he loves to be around people and he thrives in that competitive classroom experience now my second born he does not he's competitive in nature but he does not thrive in the competitive classroom experience he does not like to do his homework he doesn't like to do any work honestly he, he pushes back, and he wants to swim, and he wants to play, and he is, a, he is a jovial child at heart. Where my eldest, my firstborn, loves to be in the classroom. He loves to be organized. I'm like, I don't know whose son you are, but you're obviously not mine. So, but as a kid, I remember being in school, and you get these presentations, right? You, as a parent, you're like, oh, man, it's presentation. Fourth grade. How many of you guys are parents in the room? and you've, gone, you've had a fourth grader come through your ranks. What happens in fourth grade? The mission project, right? They gotta find a California mission. And you as a parent, the kid doesn't do anything, you as a parent do this, right? I mean, this is a building project for the dad or for the mom to get created to prepare for. Or you get the science fair. I remember the science fair. You have all these ideas as a kid. And I'm like, man, mom, I'm gonna study this and I'm gonna study that And I'm gonna study this and the list keeps going and going and going these are some amazing science fair trifold boards that I found and that is an amazing mission that's not mine but they have these kits nowadays I'm telling you just go to Michael's and you buy it for 30 bucks and then you build it how helpful would that have been back in the 90s when I was a kid but they didn't have that so as a kid you can't go to Michael's. You can't go to, to the Kmart. Kmart didn't carry those. You had to build it out of sugar cubes. Yes? And you like a sugar cube, and you put it down, and you try to frost it with something. But the thing is this. You never do it in time. And me as a child never told my mom in time to do it. It was always Thursday night. Yes? During dinner. Mom, I have this project to do Science fair is tomorrow. What? She doesn't live at school, right? I mean, I never passed off the papers. They lived in the bottom of my school bag, crumpled up like a little accordion. And moms and dads, we don't know unless we get a call by the, by the principal or whatnot. And back then, we just had the, the landlines. The cell phone didn't exist. And so you would wait until that very last moment as a kid and say, Oh, yeah, the science fair is tomorrow. And she's like, Well, I don't have a trifold poster board sitting around. So you gotta get up from the dinner table, you gotta go to the old Kmart. You guys remember Kmart? Yeah, all right, Target wasn't around then. So we'd go to Kmart and we would get the poster board and we would get the trifold foam core thing and we would sit there all night and we would do the best science project ever. Didn't look like those. It looked like the science projects that are all around. I wrote it with my left hand. It, it just didn't look prepared, right? You'd turn it in, and you would get a C, and you'd wonder why you got a C. Why didn't I get an A? I put so much time and effort into this, right? But it was always surprising when there was a a project due. And I brought up my kids before this because every week I asked Preston, do you have a project due this week that we need to know about? Is there a project that we need to go get supplies to help you with? Every Monday, I pick him up from school, and I ask him. Do you have a project due this week that we need to prepare for because I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to go to Michael's at 8 p.m. at night and have to do this because I just, I won't work well. I like being prepared. I enjoy being prepared. I don't like procrastinating. But it's ingrained in me. God wired me to be a procrastinator. And we all think and I think, you know, I work creatively under pressure. You guys ever heard that before? I'm going to wait. I work better under pressure. The creative juices just bubble up to the surface. And I do amazing things under pressure. I'm very resourceful. And I am. I do work well under pressure. But I enjoy being prepared. How many of you guys are those type of people? You love being prepared. You're my A-type personalities. You prepare weeks in advance. And it's amazing. And those projects are yours. Right? They're not mine because I wait until the last minute. I'm a procrastinator at heart. Who are my procrastinator friends? Be honest, be honest, put your hands up. There they are, coming out of the woodworks, you guys wait till the last moment. But, that was funny, just so you guys know. But we procrastinate, we wait to the last moment. I think those people, those people, my A-types out there that get everything done in time, I wish I could be like you. I wish, I pray, I'm like, I love being prepared. I love getting ready in advance now Jamie my admin assistant loves it also when I'm ready in advance and she's always on my case Mike are you ready Mike have you done this Mike don't forget this Mike don't forget this and I ask her to quote-unquote nag me about these things I'm like please nag me because I'm gonna forget I'm gonna wait until the Thursday before we have a Friday event to get everything ready and she can't work like that I surround myself with those people that have it all together, because I don't. But that procrastinator feeling in me, that ending, that waiting to the very last moment, is when I start to feel like a fraud, is when that anxiety starts to come up, right? You're like, oh man, I'm not prepared for this, I'm not ready for this. I think in order to really dig into this feeling, this feeling of procrastination, this feeling of unpreparedness, This feeling like a fraud, we've got to dig a little deeper about being qualified. I remember when Sabine and I were getting ready to go in the mission field, there was this quote going around by Mark Batterson. I'm pretty sure you've all heard it. It goes, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. You guys heard that before? No? If not, write it down in your notes because it's a good one. God doesn't qualify. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And you know what? He totally does. He qualifies you when he calls you. That doesn't mean you're not going to feel unqualified. It just means that he's got your back, that he'll prepare you for the next step, even if you're not ready for it. All right. In the bulletin, I said, warm up your Bible page, turn and thumbs, yes? We're going to go to Exodus 4. Exodus 4. We were in Matthew 22. Turn to Exodus 4 with me. In Exodus 4, just to kind of set the stage here, Moses has seen this miraculous burning bush. And God said, Moses, remove your shoes because you are on sacred ground. And so he does, and he starts this conversation with God. And God gets in there and he starts telling Moses what he's going to do and what he's prepared him to do and how he set his life up since birth, right? How he set his life up since birth to be whom he has called him to be, the freer of the Israelites. I need you to do this, Moses. And in chapter 4, verse chapter 10, verse chapter 10, chapter 4, verse 10. Let's get that right. All right, we get to kind of get in here. And Moses says this to the Lord Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow at speech and tongue. And in verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who gave you this mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. We get to listen in on reasons why Moses believes he shouldn't be the freer of the Israelites. Why he's not qualified to do that. And he gives God excuse after excuse after excuse. And God answers back at each one. And at the end, God becomes a little angry with Moses. And he says, wait, hold on. I created you. I'm the one who makes you speak well or not speak well. I'm the one who gives you ears to hear. I did this for you. Can't I not make you speak well when I need you to speak well? God qualified Moses even before Moses knew he was qualified. And Moses tried his hardest to get out of the task. He was afraid to go and to free the Israelites. To be honest, right? No, 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 God, wait, no. Wait, no, wait, no, wait. No, wait, God. And God's like, there's no time to wait. It's now. Now is the time. And go. You know, also... I feel that when I was studying this and preparing for this message, it's kind of like the apostles right after Jesus' death. That day, that day in between, that questioning day, when they ran and they hid. They buried Jesus and they went and they hid because they were being sought after. And they might have also felt that little fraudulent feeling of, did we put our eggs in the wrong basket? We just followed this amazing man, Jesus, whom I believe to be the Christ, and he said he was going to rise again, but he's dead. What do you do? What do you do as the apostle? The man that he said he was going to rise again, that he is God, that he is the son of man, he is the son of God, is dead. He died. And they got together in their house, and they probably talked like, we did this all wrong, and now... People are searching for us. We followed the wrong guy. And then what happens? Jesus comes into the room, even though the doors are locked, and he ate fish with them, and he said, believe, I'm here. I am risen. And he encouraged them all to go, and to go out and make disciples of everyone. That's pretty awesome. God quelched that fraudulent feeling that you put your eggs in the wrong basket at that time. So now we've gone through these fraudulent feelings, these feelings of being speechless, being caught off guard, this anxiety. Yes? We've all tapped into that feeling today. Turn back to Matthew 22, chapter 22. It's the big number 22 and the little number one. And we're going to read a parable. And my Bible calls it the wedding feast. And something we say in kids' church about parables, and sometimes I like teaching because the, the knowledge of a child is pretty, pretty simple and easy. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a way that Jesus can talk to us as humans in a heavenly tone, right? And he always starts out with the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like and then he explains heaven to us and so I'm going to read this parable to us today because it's really good the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come but they refused to come then he sent some more servants and said tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's get this straight. This parable is about a king who invites these people to a banquet, to his son's wedding banquet. And they give the king every excuse of why they can't make it. After finding these people unworthy of attending the banquet, the king sends out his servants to invite everybody else, the good and the bad, because he wants to fill his banquet hall for his son. When the king comes out, he sees a man not dressed as he should, and he addresses him. Friend, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes? Then it says the man was thrown out. Thrown out for not wearing the wedding clothes. So let's just freeze right there. This man came in. He was invited to a wedding banquet. He accepted the invite and then attended the banquet. But he wasn't quite prepared to attend that banquet. He wasn't quite ready. And when he was caught not ready he was speechless he was frightened this is that fraudulent feeling i was talking about in the man this feeling this man had at that moment was feeling like a fraud the king came out and looked him straight dead in the face and said how did you get in here you just crashed my wedding and you're not ready i mean I think I have, I have toddlers, and, I, and it's fun to play hide-and-go-seek with Deacon because he'll stand in the middle of the room and do what? Close his eyes, right? If I can't see you, you can't see me. This is the feeling that I got about this man when I was reading this parable. I am sure this man looked the king straight in the face and just probably wanted to close his eyes. can't see me. If I can't see you, you can't notice the fact that I'm not ready, that I'm not prepared to be here. And because of that, the king threw him out. Get out of the party. And the Bible says where there's gnashing of teeth and darkness. Obviously, we couldn't correlate that to hell, right? That's the part separate from God. So as we break this parable down from top to bottom, the king, who is the king? God, right? Who is the son this wedding banquet for? Jesus. The servants that went out and invited the first chosen people, the chosen people were the Jews who said they followed God. And they refused to come to the banquet. And they killed the servants that did the initial inviting. Who are these servants that did the initial inviting? The apostles, right? The disciples that went out there and invited. And they were, they were being martyred for inviting, for spreading the gospel. And then we get to this man. Everybody was invited, right? The good and the bad, everybody on the street corner. And this man comes in and he is there at this wedding feast. He's hanging out. He's having a party. He's enjoying the food, the dancing, the merriment. He's like, this is the best banquet ever. And the king comes out and says, how'd you get here? You might have accepted the invite, but you didn't prepare to come to the banquet. You're not ready to be here. How come you're not wearing your wedding clothes? Now, this is where, for me, the parable took a little turn on its ear. I was like, but wait, you just invited everybody on the street corner. And when I think street corner, I just think of the common guy, the common man, the layman. None of these people were part of the king's court. None of these people were of any wealth They were just the average person. How are they going to prepare? They probably didn't own wedding garments to go to a king's banquet. They didn't have those things. So how come this man isn't prepared? How come this man gets caught unprepared? And so I had to do a little digging. What are these wedding garments? What are these things? that this king so desperately needs this man to be clothed in. It's the righteousness of Christ. This parable is talking about the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is telling and predicting about his preparation, his death, his resurrection, the gift of salvation and sanctity. He is giving us the map, the guideline that God has invited us to his wedding banquet To heaven. And in order to attend this wedding banquet in heaven, we need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because without it, you're cast into the place separate from God, into darkness. Jesus is preparing everybody for his death and resurrection, he is getting everybody ready to know. I will die for you. All you have to do is accept that. And when you do, your wedding garments will be prepared. You will be able to don them. And you will be able to get ready to come to the banquet that my king, my father, has prepared for me. You will be ready to come and enjoy the laughter and the food and the merriment free of charge. Free. All that has been done is you've been invited. And all you had to do was accept the invitation and prepare yourself. It's not just about accepting the invitation. It's about the preparation. It's about accepting Jesus' free gift his salvation and clothing ourselves in his righteousness so that we're in the presence of God he sees us as part of his court and part of that banquet the invitation is the gift the knowledge of the gift that's out there the gospel the spreading of the gospel and anybody and everybody can accept the invitation but the next thing needs to happen you need to clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ You need to clothe yourself in his sanctity because without it, you're left wanting. We will all go to heaven. We will all get there. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you clothed in the appropriate garments? Are you clothed in the sanctity of Christ? Have you even been invited? If you're here, obviously, you got the invite. You accepted it. You're ready. But you haven't quite prepared yet, maybe. And that's the thing, is we need to prepare. And today, I want you to prepare. I love challenging our kids with something at the end of every message we give. I'm a teacher at heart. Homework, if you will. If you're here, you've accepted the invitation. If you haven't prepared, I invite you to prepare. I invite you to accept what Christ is giving freely. His salvation. His sanctity. His righteousness. If you already are prepared, I ask you this question. How many invitations have you prepared? Have you written up? How many invitations have you Have you passed out lately to come to the king's wedding banquet? He wants his hall full. He wants it to be filled with people, everybody. It's not just a select few anymore. It's everybody. So I challenge you with this. If you haven't prepared, what's the holdup? If you have prepared and you were wearing the righteousness of Christ... Are you inviting people to the banquet? And are you helping them prepare too? Now, sometimes that feels a little overwhelming, and I go all the way back to God qualifies the called. He has given you the authority to go and to hand out the invitations and to help prepare. And sometimes that feels overwhelming, like, who? That's so many people. So I challenge you with one on your notes. I have two little dots there for you. Write down somebody's name, anybody, anybody that you know that maybe hasn't accepted the invite, that maybe has accepted the invite, but they don't know how to prepare for the feast. Write down their names, and I want you to pray for them. And then I want you to pray for yourself. Lord, give me the encouragement. Give me the opportunities. Lord, open my eyes so I can see those opportunities to give out those invitations, To help somebody prepare for the wedding banquet. I challenge you with this. This week, talk to somebody. The gospel is free to everybody. The Lord, the king, told all of his servants to go out to the street corners and invite the good and the bad. Everybody is deserving of the gospel. Everybody is deserving of the sanctity of Christ. There is not one, not one person out there who doesn't deserve it. And it's our job as his servants to invite. It's our job as his servants to pass out the wedding garments. You have the authority to do that. God has asked you to do that. And that is pretty cool. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the invitations, for handwriting those up for us, for sending your one and only Son to die on the cross for us. And Lord, thank you for giving him the power to rise again, to be our salvation. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the free gift, for the wedding banquet that we can prepare for, the excitement of that. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you give us the courage that you open our eyes to see the opportunity to just invite somebody new, Lord, and to be with them as they prepare. Lord, I pray that you give us that strength, that you qualify us, that you take that fraudulent feeling away, that you take that unqualified, unprepared feeling away, Lord, because you have prepared us and you have qualified us. Lord, we just thank you so much for all of your blessings and we ask you to bless this prayer in your precious and only name, Jesus Christ. Amen.